Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Story Smack. Hello, my name is A. Kovacs an audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And my name is Scott Sigler, best-selling novelist, and I don't like what people are saying about me, so let's change the conversation. <laughs> this is episode 21 of Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. We were going to talk about Chinatown, which has been described by many experts as the perfect screenplay. But we're pushing that back to late August or maybe September because we've landed our first guests for Story Smack, Diana Gabaldon and Rob Reed. Boom. Uh, Rob Reed, if you haven't heard of him, we've talked about him on podcasts before. He was the founder of the Rhapsody Music Service and is the author of the sci-fi novel Year Zero and his upcoming second novel, uh, Always On. It's he's a, just a brilliant dude, and he, when he wants to talk about when he comes on our show is the movie Shallow Grave, which I have not seen, and you have. Right, right, right. It's I'm not going to say a thing because it's going to be great. Okay, so uh, yep, yeah, good. And then uh, Diana Gabaldon is the bajillion sales best-selling author of the Outlander series, which is currently a huge success as a TV show on the Stars Network. So this is a huge get, as they say in the entertainment industry. You in the guess. business, in the, in the business, you have someone come on your show. That's a huge get. <laughs> uh, it's a huge huge get for story smack we talked her at denver comic-con where you got the world's worst cold we got the world's worst cold and now all of empty set has a cold at this point mm-hmm. um and she i'm so excited to have her on the show it's going to be great she wants to talk about her favorite movie which is one of my favorite movies which is the last of the mohicans which I've never seen. So we, I've never seen Shallow Grave, so I'll be watching mm-hmm. that before. It's um, mortifying to me that I've never seen it, but it's... And it's, it's unreal. It's yeah. just such an amazing movie. So you guys watch or rewatch those movies if you can, so we can all enjoy the conversations together. Um, what do we talk about this episode, eh? Uh, in this episode, we're looking back at a landmark show that changed television forever, because it's the 10th anniversary of the pilot of Mad Men. Sheesh. The first episode aired on July 19th, 2007. First of all, to think that 2007 was 10 years ago screws with my head a lot. I know. 2007 is a future number. That's right, not a past right, right, number. That's right. a future number. It's, I think they're flying cars in 2007. So the first episode did air July 19th, 2007 on AMC, which mm-hmm. just was killing it at that point. Uh, shortly, right around there, they had Breaking Bad. I might have even had some other shows, too. Um Mad Men was created by Matthew Weiner. The series ran seven seasons, 92 episodes, and the final episode aired on May 17th, 2005. It was a look at the advertising business of the 60s, uh, actual, actually called Mad Men because, they, because it was Madison Avenue. So mm-hmm. it was a, a mostly a male-run business, as all things were. Sure. And they were on Madison Avenue, so they were called Mad Men. Okay, okay. Um, but overall, it was a period drama about those times. For example, Don Draper, the star of the show, would be 91 years old oh, today. 
So in a way, the show is about what life was like when our grandparents were the demographic that controlled and defined the nation's culture. Which, uh, when you consider how much boning, drug use, and general parting goes on in that show, is a bit disturbing. Uh, sorry, Pop-Pop, I just don't want to think about you doing the nasty with Grandma. Oh, I don't. None of us want to think about it. Why do you always have to go there? Because I'm, I'm a trained journalist. I have a degree, and I always strive for the truth. Scott. Sometimes some truths are left <laughs> best unsaid. And some are not, which is why you have fallen into my trap yet again, which is why after the show, I have 20 absolute truths about Mad Men. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, by quote unquote absolute truths, do you mean things we might not know? Tomato, tomato. It's all the same business. <laughs> but I'm going to get my list in, girl. Get well, my list going I on. I will say one fascinating true fact uh, is about Mad Men was that okay. it was one of the first shows that uh, was a binge-watching phenomenon, at the st- start of the binge-watching mm, phenomenon. Yes. One of the very first times that you could watch or stream, I guess, full seasons. And that impacted how many people got into the series. That's how I got into the series. I remember the first thing I ever binged watched was The Sopranos. My buddy, Bernie Boyd, gave my ex and I the whole Sopranos, the whole thing. We hadn't seen any of it. And wow. we watched, I think, was it five, six seasons? We watched it all in one ridiculously unwashed weekend where wow. we, we just didn't get off. We could not stop. We did not get off the couch. All you did was call for pizza. Yeah, and... that's it. That's it. We'd pause it long enough to go get some food and go to the bathroom. Wow. Like the dogs were even on their own. We're like, you guys just open up the door. You guys go crazy. <laughs> um, and But what's interesting is that was all on DVDs, right? So the Sopranos right. ended the same year that Mad Men started, which was in 2007. But you never watched like the X-Files or anything like that? But that I didn't binge watch. Oh, no, I didn't fair, binge watch. Fair, fair, a lot fair, of those right. I experienced. It was this, Sopranos the first time I was like, okay, here's a show everybody loves. I'm going to get caught up all at once right um i didn't get into madman i think till about season three but it was the availability of online episodes that made it eventually made it so easy to catch up you just you slam them all down um do i want a question for you do you think that i mean the sopranos was a cultural phenomenon but you had to have hbo or you had to get the dvds and netflix it wasn't quite the same it, di- it didn't have the same gestalt that Mad Men had. Do you think the ability to stream all of it and get caught up where everybody else was really fast uh, contributed to Mad Men being such a water cooler phenomenon? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'll say I had Sunday night viewing parties. My, my brother's a little bit older than I am, mm-hmm. and we live in different places. And he used to do, um, when I was in college, he would do... Uh, what was it? Must see TV on Thursday nights on NBC, yep, and it was like Friends right. and Mad About You and something Seinfeld. else, something yeah, yeah, something 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 like that. And he was, he just could not get his head around that I that was not a thing I did. But I had a late lab. I, I was a chemistry major. I had a late lab. I couldn't mm-hmm. I couldn't do it the way it had to be done. And that was back in the day, back mm-hmm. when I was a young girl. When I, when I was a youngster, that was the only way to do it is to watch it live or manage your VH or VCR. Right, so I didn't right. really do that. But then. By the time The Sopranos started, I was an adult living, I was adult married, living on my own, all that stuff. And I had Sunday night viewing parties with neighbors and stuff. Mm-hmm. People that I'm still friends with today that we all just like only one of us had HBO, so we would ah. go there, or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, some, some water cooler talk, but The Sopranos, you still, if you missed it, you could catch it like at the 10 p.m. or whatever, the 2 a.m. hour, and then you could do it. Like, so there were a couple of chances to catch it. Mm-hmm. But Mad Men, and I think also for me, Breaking Bad, I didn't start Breaking Bad until its last season. 
and was furiously trying to catch up before the finale. I remember that. Um, I remember I spoiled the finale for you, you too. You sure did. Yeah. You spoiled it the night before. The, yeah. the, like literally that night right afterwards. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> had, I had like had four left. Six seasons. <laughs> six seasons in like a month. Right for the last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, pr- I'm very proud yeah. of that moment. Um, but that's okay because I spoiled Harry Potter for you. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. But anyway, so yeah, I totally understand that um, that sort of community building mm-hmm. that that binge watching really changed the way you did things because I actually have friends now which when they hear this uh, Liz I'm very sorry to say I have never seen Buffy mm-hmm. and I have a lot of friends and good friends who are who can quote who can pull out one quote from one episode and tell you which episode in which season it was and I have never seen one but it's so intimidating to start it's, now it's too, it's too much now because yeah. Buffy was uh, there's so many Buffy episodes and Mad Men was like that. Or, you know what? Game of Thrones is like that right now. Because we mm-hmm. have Game of Thrones friends who come over and watch it. A lot of people won't get into it. At season three, people are like, yeah, I'll just go back and watch them all. But at season seven, they're like, ah, it's just too much. So back to Mad Men. Um, one thing that I found just riveting about the show was the the up close and personal, you know, it, it really showed you what it was like for ambitious women of the era. So if you're an ambitious woman now, there are many, many avenues that you can take to be an entrepreneur, to succeed in your field, to go get any degree you want, do anything you want to do. Back then, that was not the case. And the the character of Peggy, who's kind of the breakout character, the breakout star of it, of course, next to John Hamm, who's a megastar because of it. Um, Peggy was played by Elizabeth Moss, who is currently the star of The Handmaid's Tale on Netflix. In the show, she started out as a secretary, and I felt she was kind of a metaphor for uh, the American woman's changing role in society. Started as a secretary, wind up as an executive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's such an interesting thing because she was an executive. There's so much interesting about the show. This is the moment that I will say, if you haven't seen it and you don't want to be spoiled, Spoiler this alert. is this is yeah because we're going to talk lots of things and now, here's your one more we gonna get into it um, but there it, there are still very interesting things because a, <coughs> a, a an executive now male or female I, you know there's a wage gap there's all that stuff but if you think about it in our parents' lifetime when when my mother was that age. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, to start as a secretary on Madison Avenue, which she did. My mom worked, and then she worked in um, the Empire State Building for a while, oh, cool. right, right out of school. Uh-huh. And uh, there were, I mean, there were literally women don't talk in meetings, full stop. Mm-hmm. You just don't. Or you're not even allowed to be in the room for some wow. meetings. Okay. So my mom had to listen on a, um, like a intercom because she couldn't be in the room. That it's like she an had. orthodox church kind of a thing. Men, she had men to, and women shall not mingle. Yeah, so she had to take meeting minutes, but Holy she shit. couldn't be in the room. What the fuck is that? That's one generation. And that's one generation. That's my lifetime. Well, not my lifetime, but my parents' lifetime. That's crazy when you think about it that way, because that would be so insane today. Be, and yet, yeah. and it was yet right it was, back then. It was right back then. And it, it, the show was so riveting for me, because as a dude whose mother worked the same job. My mom and dad were both teachers, right? Mm -hmm. So I grew up in a household of total equality. They basically made the same thing. My dad made a little more because he coached, but he also had a whole separate job as coaching. They basically made the same thing. Actually, my mom made a little more. She had two years seniority on my dad. So, and all of our family decisions were made, you know, they would make those things together and make it clear that they they were in charge, but they made all the decisions together. Uh, I, you know, logically... I'm not dumb. I mean, logically, I knew women had a very different role in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, but growing up in my house of, of equality, all of that was abstract knowledge. It had nothing to do with emotional understanding. And Mad Men really made it 
hit home for me uh, the limited limited options that people my grandparents' age had. Very prescribed roles, significant lack of choice and opportunity. I think that made Wiener's show and the amazing performances by Moss, Christina Hendricks, January Jones, and others, it made it difficult to watch. Because oh, you, you, sure. you were watching it, and I'm like, this is like, this isn't yeah. 1890. This isn't the frontier. This is fucking Madison Avenue, New York in within living memory. Well, right. And then you also think about things like you, your parents are, are unique, certainly. Mm-hmm. And but also, you know, your mom had to figure out she had to spend her lunch hour going home to set the crockpot. She the last time I saw her, she told this story about where she would go home because was it Friday nights were films or something? But there was one school day where she had to go home to set up food to feed all the people who were going to come over to her house later. So she well, lost fr- her lunch Friday hour. night, because uh, football games are Friday night, right. and then everybody, and then everybody comes come to the head after. coach's house after. So that was a woman's role, too. Mm-hmm. Now, there's nothing, and I'm not saying that, that there was anything wrong with that. That was a decision that your family made. Mm-hmm. But back then, when your mom was still getting the same pay and had equality with your dad. Your dad was in a job that not a lot of men took. He was a teacher. That's a very female-oriented role. But also, she still, like, he, he didn't go home and put in a roast for the right, That right. was her job because that was a woman's job. And a lot of that has also changed, too. Mm-hmm. But I find it really interesting. This show in particular did such a great job of a woman knowing the system and not liking the system mm-hmm. and Peggy Moss was a or, uh, Peggy was a great great example of this she would outwardly challenge it mm-hmm. but January Jones who was a housewife she was John Hamm's wife also knew her role knew the limitations of that role and knew how to play she knew how to play the system the, the system as much as she could yeah and uh, and certainly Christina Hendricks oh yeah uh, that 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 story arc was the most heartbreaking for me. Mm-hmm. That one the scene at the end where she's going to get a partnership role if she lands this big, like they essentially what happens is there's a big client who wants to sleep with her mm-hmm. and will give her a partnership and, mm-hmm. and they'll give her 5% stake in the business if she, and becomes a partner. If she if lands she does that, that guy. Yeah. And you watch the most of that, uh, you, you, it, that episode starts with um, Don Draper going over to her house <clears throat> and saying you don't have to do this that essentially saying this is bullshit i can't i am the i'm the worst guy in the world in a lot of ways and i can't handle this i can't i'm not you're not doing that you don't have to Mm -hmm. and she's saying thank you so much and you're so sweet Mm -hmm. and uh and then the the episode unfolds from that last final moment i see and you see that moment again at the end and what you don't know is when she opens the door she's wearing an emerald necklace a pendant Mm -hmm. that her john essentially yeah gave her yeah so she's already done the deal she's already done it she's already sealed the deal swoops in to save the day because she's like okay i'm a single mom hard episode yeah she's a single mom which also doesn't fucking you know there's no way out for that either and she has to do what she has to do and i don't know that she regrets it i don't she uh i mean she would like it to be different but i I don't think she she had her shot i mean that that was what the show was really good at like people get their opportunity and it's unsavory how they take advantage of it. And hers is the worst case scenario, but there are other many difficult cases for the yeah. characters as well. And when they get that shot to move up and get a bigger a piece of the American dream or a bigger piece of the American dream, do they take it? What will they do to take it? And that, that might have, it, within the character's context of Christina Hendricks' character, that could be the only shot she ever had at ownership. Right. Yeah, but what's inter- so interesting to me? I mean, it's devastating, and it's mm-hmm. so well written. That's such a tight, tight episode. I mean, the whole show is was tightly written, was excruciatingly, painfully detail oriented and researched, and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. But that one moment, 
she literally has sacrificed herself to try and protect her future and her child. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't even tell Don, really? Really? You're like fucking 20 minutes too late. Yeah, 20 minutes too late. Really? You could have done this yesterday. You literally could have done this for the last week, but you didn't. But now you're going to save the day. That's, of course, what I would have... In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. I mean... I, I think in my head, like, why didn't she tell him, you know what, fuck off and get out of my house? Because she, she's probably thinking about, I'm a partner now, but and she's I gotta, ha- right. she's gotta make it go as smooth as possible. She's hamstrung by the, the society she lives yeah. in. And yet, it, had she not done that, she wouldn't have had a partnership role. And today we even struggle with an equal distribution of men and women uh, in leadership roles mm-hmm. in corporations. Mm-hmm. But if, she, if it, I'm sure that that happened in real life oh, problems and had Some it not things along those lines yeah for sure we'd probably be even further disparate stones so uh, this show is interesting to me because sometimes i'm a i'm a crotchety old man i know i'm a crotchety oh, no. old man yes I'm crotchety and i don't like all of your feels and all of your emotions you people out there but uh, i question the need for metaphor and analogy and storytelling i always feel like 
Look, if you need an emotional appeal analogy to illustrate your point, well, that means that the factual elements of your point aren't strong enough to sustain themselves. In, in other words, you've got to you know, change the conversation because your, your argument is enough. But a show like Mad Men throws that in my face because it really immerses you in, in the culture and changes it from a historical analysis to an emotional experience. It helps you see what it was like for people who lived it. Um, it makes, and sometimes... It takes what seems extremely boring. Like if you told me about Mad Men, it's a show about ad execs and their husbands and their wives and their family experiences and suburban life and city life. I don't want to watch that. That mm-hmm. show was called Friends and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, when you you put it in, when you actually see these people's stories and they're well-written stories and the acting class and it is outstanding at conveying those emotions, it makes those things much more riveting. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I think that... Um, we were just talking about sort of the female experience, uh, the stylized female experience on the show, but the the same thing, the same societal confines are there for the men as well. And, and you know, <coughs> yeah, uh, uh, Don Draper, played by John Hamm, as you mentioned, is a, a really good protagonist because he's an antagonist protagonist, right? He's a not, it, he's, he's not Walter White from Breaking Bad, who right. was epic in... Sometimes he's perfect. He, sometimes he's the best man, and sometimes he's the worst man, and sometimes mm-hmm. he's the best human, and sometimes he's the worst human. But Don Draper had a lot of that too. Also confined by the society around oh, him, definitely. he had to. You know, he ends up. Um, he's kind of a, he's a big playboy and everything else, but he, his the the weight of the world rests on his shoulders for lots and lots of people, mm-hmm. and he can't have a vulnerable moment. And then as the show progresses, and he. Um, he divorces January Jones or uh, Betty, mm-hmm. and um, and then he meets and marries Megan, or mm-hmm. I think maybe he meets Megan, divorces Betty, marries Megan, yeah, um, and then Megan leaves him, mm-hmm. and that's uh, at the beginning of the show. I think uh, inconceivable for that character, right? Because it's inconceivable when it happens to him, and that's whatever eight nine years later. And that's in, another in metaphor the for the changing times, too. Exactly right, because right. she's she's. Much younger. Much younger, but she's the age that Betty was when they started to date. So mm-hmm. this idea that society changes all of us, e- even the people who are perceived to be on the top or the people who are perceived to be climbing or whatever, right. is hard to see sometimes. And that is such a beautiful example because he's fucking crushed. And part of it is because he's he's crushed by the societal expectations that didn't happen. Right. And part of it is that he's brokenhearted. Um, and the show made him a star. He'd done a couple of things here and there, but uh, I mean, he was struggling actor in L.A. like everybody else. I've, I've heard him on The Nerdist before. I think mm-hmm. he and Chris were actual friends before Mad Men happened. Yeah, going to UBC a lot to do stand, uh, the open mics. Oh yeah. So I mean, here's a guy who completely paid his dues. Typical, as usual, the overnight sensation was the there eighteen for, year for overnight. 18 years. Yeah. But it made him a household name. And it's awesome to me. I mean, he literally, with with the hair and the costuming and that face of mm-hmm. his, he looks like he walks straight out of the drawings of the idealized man of the times. And I, I was able to connect with his character from the, the strictly male side of things and see through that storytelling some of the legacy of things that impact my current culture. Um, 
because he he conveyed the expectation for stoicism of men at the time. Uh, yeah. You're not supposed to feel emotion. You may love your wife and your children, but you don't what exhibit emotion. What are you talking emotion. about at the time? That's we, it's, that's it's the societal still expectation for it's, men now, which it's is not ludicrous. as bad. But it's ludicrous. But it's still with us. Yeah. Like you show emotion on the athletic field to some extent. Not 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 the the NBA of today would not be recognized by people back then, right? Um, and you show some emotion to your family, but not a lot. Everybody right. knows you love them, but you don't you don't talk about that. And you sure as hell aren't supposed to cry. You don't show. Right. your feelings. This was not a time when show, men were supposed to be in touch with their feelings. Well, mostly. It, it, it's, and I, I would argue that, yes, it's it's a little better now, but it's not a lot better now, and it's a problem for That's all, what I'm talking every, about is the, oh, the yeah. legacy. Like, I, I have times where I'm like, you know, like, you're, you, uh, the, we, go, we, we talk about this when various traumatic experiences happen in my life or difficult things are frustrating. Like, we lost a Hollywood deal not too long ago, and, and I'm like, you know, great. That's, I get mad for a little while, and I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to move on. And right. when bad things happen, if I cry, I cannot help it. If I cry, that is a sign of weakness I, that will never leave me as long as I live. Except... All I mean, if you think about it this way, what I was just going to say, and I lost track, I'm was sorry. Um, no, that's me. Um, y- m- some emotions are okay. Uh, vulnerable emotions are not. They're not okay. Uh, love, tenderness, crying, sadness; mm-hmm. those are vulnerable. Anger, be as angry as yeah, you anger, want. Anger's fine. Uh, frustration, um, bullheadedness, all yep. of these things. All of those are fine because those are masculine <laughs> traits, right? But you can't, you cannot truly be angry unless you have something. Uh, precious right mm-hmm. so you can't have true anger unless you have something to protect which is a vulnerable emotion you have love you have you something you know and that's even true like you see it a lot in Mad Men in when um, Don and Betty are still married and are the nuclear family you mm-hmm. see you know she she takes care of the children in a different way than and she goes through some of her own struggles too once uh, the daughter is growing up a little they have a little confrontation but <coughs> Don is never um comforting and compassionate he's kind of patting them on the head and i love you go on he's very awkward he does a great job of portraying he's the the family man he's the breadwinner he's hugely successful i don't see him around his family he's a duck out of water and doesn't know what the hell to do and then you watch him fall in love with megan like you see him have several affairs and those are sort of swashbuckly that like i am in charge and whatever you know um but he isn't getting exposed and vulnerable you see um roger sterling do a little bit of that oh, so great um, but roger he's, sterling's amazing in that yeah show. yeah 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 and then you have like the daughtery old man um the uh, uh, the founder yeah yeah who is all those things you're not supposed to be but he's hugely successful he has yep. the biggest office he can be weird and goofy mm-hmm. he can love everything he can have he rarely shows anger never shows rage all of that stuff because he's a made man yeah and that's my favorite thing about Mad Men is that it's it's this idea they spend he's they spend eight years or nine years <laughs> or whatever long it is mm-hmm. um trying to get all the Mad Men all the Madison Avenue guys made mm-hmm. just like he was yeah. and that doesn't happen because the world goes away without them like that ideal goes away without them and i think that same thing is true today like yes you're never gonna cry even though i'm sure you've cried never cry- i've never cried in my life well I'm- i was a kid once and i wrecked my bike and i skinned up my knee and the bike and the yoke of the handle hit me in the in the privates yeah the- i cried then maybe one tear it, it was no there was i mean it was a good cry but i was seven yeah. and uh, and then and then my dad informed me that we don't there's no more crying your dad's wrong your dad's wrong. I love him. I love him. He's a great man in in a million he ways. He didn't actually do that. But he's wrong. There were times when I was when I was just a little kid, 
and I would cry about stuff as a little kid and you could tell it just rubbed him the wrong way. He'd sure. be like, like if you fell and hurt yourself and there was, if there was blood, if there was blood, you were allowed to cry, allowed to cry. But if you found like skin to your elbow, you'd get like, you'd get like 30 seconds of crying and he'd be like, and you could just see him like, well, come on, give me a break, Scott. And right. then there was the classic, you know, uh, uh just. I, 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 if you want to cry? I'll give you something to cry about. That yeah. general, that general concept of trying to toughen up your sons, you know, because well, you're not supposed to. You're not exactly. supposed to show that shit. Well, be strong, I, damn it, be strong. Except, what is the purpose of that? Because well, there's a lot of benefits. There, there's in some, in this societal structure, there's a lot of benefits. Yeah. But here's my argument: Do you really want to be with somebody who you can't be totally totally vulnerable with? Because every woman you're ever going to be with, every woman you've ever been with who truly loved you, wants you to have a safe space, right? Wants all men, all men's partners, all women's partners want to have a place where they, you come home and you can be whoever you are and I will always love you. It's the same idea. I'm not, and, I know what you're saying is factually correct. Mm-hmm. But, but I know but, where, I know Story Smack is not going to start the conversation that changes the world. I get that. <laughs> but every. Th- all the men out there who are like you, like, yeah, damn straight, don't cry. Don't never, cry. never cry. Toughen up, toughen up, damn it. Trust me, you'll never get more laid with whoever <laughs> your partner is if you can be vulnerable and your and truly emotionally I did not know what was going there. I yeah. didn't know what was going there. So all you guys, all you all you manly men, tough guys out there, my my ilk, you've just learned that Story Smack now is about is about how to get apparently laid. Apparently we are going to change the world. Yes. Apparently it's, it's about, yes. And that, of course, that always changes the world. So okay. that's great. So you know what the other thing that change well that changes story smack what's that things i didn't know i didn't know oh you are you talking about things you may not know about mad men i i guess i am all right so there's 20 of these but i don't know if we'll go through them all um don draper owes a debt of gratitude to dr john becker uh, Matthew Weiner dreamed up the idea for Mad Men while he was working as a writer on the Ted Danson sitcom Becker. If you guys don't know, remember who Ted Danson is? What? He's the bartender from Cheers. And then he moved on to do a show well, called Becker. Becker was hugely popular Becker too. Becker was yeah. hugely popular too. That was, I mean, that was super fun for Ted Danson. A lot of people, he was another ridiculously good looking guy. And people are like, oh, it's just a fluke, your success on Cheers. And they went out and did it three more times. Mm-hmm. And he's just, mm-hmm. yeah, everything he touches turns to gold. Um, the This is a great story. The Mad Men pilot got Wiener his job on The Sopranos. So in 2002, Wiener sent the Mad Men pilot to David Chase, creator of The Sopranos, as mm-hmm. a writing sample. In 2012, the New York Times asked Chase how Wiener came to his attention. Chase said, we were looking for writers, as we always are, and he, he was submitted. He told me later that he insisted that he be submitted. His agents didn't want him to do Sopranos. Um, and, uh, and what he demanded was that they submit to him as a writing sample the pilot for Mad Men. Wow. Wiener said, uh, Chase said it was quite good. He met with him and he was hired. Two or three, this is a great quote. He's like, yeah, two or three years later, he took that pilot and apparently got somewhere with it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, David Chase is such a huge powerhouse of that yeah. era of movie, ma- of uh, television making. And so for him to be like, hmm, turns out I would really like you to write on my show is a huge deal. It gets better. The David Chase soap opera gets better. HBO passed on Mad Men and it's David Chase's fault. Before AMC signed on to broadcast Mad Men, Wiener spent some time shopping the script around, figuring its dark content. HBO seemed like the perfect fit. David Chase thought so too and delivered the script for the Mad Men pilot to the cable cable behemoth executives himself. Although HBO never made an official comment about passing in the series, according to a 2009 story in Vanity Fair, both Chase and Wiener told the writer that HBO announced it would make Mad Men on the condition that Chase be an executive producer. And Chase said he had further discussion about Wiener about directing the pilot 
But despite being very tempted for the meeting, he said no to both positions, wanting to move away from weekly television. So Chase Which is was such a crazy. And I mean, why not walk away after The Sopranos if you want to move away from weekly television? Sure. But also uh, had a hand in Northern Exposure coming. And you know what? You'll be surprised to learn maybe yes. a fact you did not know. Yes. Kolchak. He did a cold check? He did. Wait, the new one? No, the original one. He did. Oh, he did the original. I didn't know uh-huh. that. Yeah. Oh, that's a fact I did not know. Number four, Don Draper is based on a real person. At least parts of Draper are based on Draper Daniels, a legendary Chicago ad man who was a creative head at Leo Burnett. He invented the Marlboro Man, this guy. Wow. So while that's an amazing accomplishment, lots of people died because of it. Um, <laughs> the pilot was shot while the Sopranos were on hiatus. Because the Sopranos season finale was shot in two parts. Wiener took advantage of the hiatus. He had to shoot the, epi- the pilot episode of Mad Men. He was able to recruit, recruit several of his collaborators on the Sopranos to help. Um, Matt asked Alan Taylor to direct while his buddies in the Sopranos were on hiatus. So that was very cool. He was yeah. stuck on the Sopranos, couldn't break free. Sopranos hiatus, jumped out and made Mad Men. So quite mm-hmm. a dude. The pilot, number six, the pilot is the only episode that was actually shot in New York City. Mad Men is largely a New York story, but all but that one episode have been shot in Los Angeles. Oh, really? Yeah. That's neat. Here's a one's fascinating to me. The first and second episodes were shot one year apart. TV Insider's Roller History of the Series, Wiener says that nearly a year elapsed between shooting the pilot for Mad Men and its second episode. Uh, there's seven years between when he wrote the pilot and when he wrote the sec- seven years between the pilot and the episode. Well, and now that we've been kicking around... Uh, Hollywood offices for a while. Yeah. None of that surprises me. No, we have, we, we, we've got yeah. uh, Nocturnal has been officially in development for five years now. Yeah. And at any point it could, you know, it could just go away. Or yep. at some point it'd be like somebody, the right people hit it and they're like, boom, we're doing this. And Absolutely. It goes yeah. on. Uh, Roger Sterling wanted to be Don Draper. Sure. Yes. I love Roger. John Slattery, who plays Roger Sterling, originally auditioned for the role of Don Draper. And there's been all of this talk that there's bad blood between them because, uh, because Ham got the, got the part and Slattery, at least publicly, will have nothing to do with it. He doesn't hate him. So the thing is, it was apparent from the beginning how annoyingly good Ham was in that role. I don't think people appreciate how difficult it is to play someone, something as subtly as he does. Trying to communicate so much from a guy who keeps his cards close to his chest is almost an impossibility. Well, and John Slattery is such, did, had, had such a deft understanding of uh, Roger Sterling oh, because amazing. Roger goes through a whole bunch of ups and downs yeah. and he does it so well. And honestly, I can't see John Hamm, you know, getting stoned and breaking up with his second wife, you know, things accidentally breaking up with his second wife, which, which Roger Sterling did. So which John Slattery as Roger Sterling yeah, did so well and got, sort of lighthearted. Real, real high. Yeah. He got real high on LSD <laughs> and mistook something that his second wife said, like, Oh, this, she was trying to say like, I think I'm done getting high. And he was like, I, I agree with you. We should never, have gotten married and then the next day wakes up to all of the consequences of that and i think his portrayal also like he's was great in that role so i can see why he wouldn't uh wouldn't regret it slattery's one of the only people who can pitch really expensive stuff on tv or in ads like fancy cars that cost 80 grand or watches that cost 10 grand and i don't want to punch him in the face everybody else (laughs) matthew mcconaughey included love his work hate his commercials want to punch him number nine betty draper wanted to be peggy olsen January Jones auditioned not once but twice for the role of Peggy Olson, which eventually went to Elizabeth Moss. But when Wiener saw her, he had a different part in mind for her. And of course, she that made her a star. She just crushed that role. Mm-hmm. The Ice Queen kind of thing is great. Um, Wiener is allowed three shits per show. 
What? Yes. Uh, he participated in a wide-ranging Q&A with Curb Your Enthusiasm star Jeff Garland in Los Angeles. When asked about how Mad Men might have been different had it been sold to HBO, Wiener replied that Mad Men is TV 14, not even TV MA, so it's allowed three shits per show. You can use the word shit three times in one oh, episode. I see. That is not where I thought you were going. I know. That. That's, what, that's what clickbait headlines are all about. Nice job. Nice job, Mental Floss. Um, this is great. He can say Jesus as much mm-hmm. as he wants. He can say Christ as much as he wants, but he can't say Jesus Christ unless Jesus Christ is actually there. I see. Yes. Which is how South Park lets away with it, I guess. This is the rating system, people. The brilliance of the rating system. Thank you, Jack Valenti. Another um, unfortunate side effect of the show, Mad Men boosted Lucky Strikes sales. The old school cigarette brand, which has played a recurring role in the show since the beginnings, has benefited from, Mad Men, benefited from association with Mad Men. The company nearly doubled its sales since the series premiered, selling an additional 10 billion mm. cigarettes. And I've, I watched this show, and I was convinced from square one that the tobacco industry quietly provided funding. Like, look, if you guys put the show, we'll do the whole back end. We got it all covered. Because it was nonstop smoking. Well, I mean, but that was the era. I, I know, but I mean, still, it was very it. glamorous. We work at the Lair of Doom, and we run our own business, and we... <coughs> As you, as regular listeners to Story Smackery podcast, well, now sometimes have drinks while we record. Yep. Uh, I'm, we're the only office I know, the only office I know that has drinks in the office. Yeah. Okay. The only office, really? Think about it. I can't think of anybody else. Mm. Not, not that Are there's not us. Are we luscious? We, I don't. I am luscious. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait a minute. You're supposed to have a cold and be the sharp wit's supposed to be down today because well, mine it, is down because I have the cold. Well, trust me, mine is quite down. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm fired. All right. Two musical notes. Wiener paid two hundred fifty thousand dollars to use a Beatles song. He paid the big bucks to close out that Lady Lazarus episode, spending. 250 grand to license the right to the Beatles tomorrow never knows. Mm-hmm. So it was a small price to pay for authenticity. It was his feeling the show lacked a certain authenticity because they never could have an actual mass recording of the Beatles performing. Wiener told the New York Times, not just someone singing their song or version of their song, but them doing a song in the show. It always felt like a flaw because he are the, they are the band probably of the 20th century. Sure. And then uh, uh, Jessica Parry, Par, mm-hmm. do you know how to pronounce Parry. her last name? Parry? Jessica Parry, Don Draper's ridiculously hot wife. Just French-Canadian wife. French-Canadian right? awesome wife in that. She scored a hit with her rendition of Zuby Subi Sue, uh-huh. which was, I when I watched episodes, incredibly awkward. Whole party, everybody dressed up to the nines, and she comes out in this re- preposterously gorgeous black dress, all done up, and sings this sexy song for her husband's birthday in front of all his friends. Shameless. She's an actress in the show. Mm-hmm. She's an actress. But here's the great, the great part of it. Um, she stole the season five premiere when she serenaded Don with her sexy take on Zuby Zuby Zoo. It didn't take long for a performance to transcend television, take over the music world, eventually becoming the number one song on Billboard's World Digital wow. chart. So she sang that and became the number one song in the world it's when it was nice. out. That's awesome. Freddie Rumson. Do you remember Freddie Rumson? Mm, no. He was like a lower level guy. They brought him in a little later. He was brought in from another agency. Oh, right, 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 right. Uh-huh. Uh, it's played by Joel Murray, the brother of Bill Murray. Nice. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. Like I didn't know that until I, oh, that's Bill Murray's brother and you cannot, cannot look away. Um, number 17, because Scott is being the moral police with the lethality known as cigarettes. No, the actors aren't smoking real cigarettes. You don't want actors smoking real cigarettes, Wiener told the New York Times. They get agitated and nervous. I've been on sets where people throw up, they smoke so much. Instead, they smoked herbal cigarettes, to which Christina Hendricks replied, they are disgusting. So, Hmm. strong acting. The Draper's creepy neighbor, Glenn, is Matthew Wiener's son. 
Interesting. The one who idolized uh, Betty and then moved over to Sally, which was double creepy. It was just a whole lot of creepy. And that kid's got a great creepy look going on. She does. Yeah. And then finally, Kiernan Shipka has never seen an episode. Kiernan played Sally Draper. Uh, in 2013, the then 13-year-old um, told the Huffington Post she's never actually watched an episode of Mad Men. Quote, I'm probably allowed to watch them, but I don't obviously because I wasn't allowed to at the beginning, she explained. Now I figure it's just best to sort of wait until the show's over. Maybe when I'm 16 or 17, I'll binge watch them or something, <laughs> which brings us completely full circle back to the beginning of our talk. So does that wrap up our... Those uh, are the things you might not know yeah. about uh, Mad Men. And I'm That's pretty sure true. all you people listening, you may not have known some of those things. So well, I, I win. Know. Yeah. I win. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, so we hope you have enjoyed episode 21 of Story Smack. What movie or TV show, book, or other story would you like us to talk about? Email your idea to info at empty set. And I will tell you guys, we have received a whole bunch. And I just collated them over la- oh, last week when we were in Denver. And Scott and I are going to sit down and talk about them. There's a lot of really good <laughs> recommendations. And I totally love. There's a couple that we actually already did on our own. Yeah. So that's we, you us in sync with the audience. In and, sync. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, next episode, we're going to cover an absolute classic as we celebrate the 30th anniversary of RoboCop. State of the art, bang, bang. You can find us both online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram. And his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I'm a real girl on Twitter and a.real.girl on Instagram. You can find this show online at scottsigler.com slash storiesnack. We would love to see your comments there too. You can find us on iTunes, search for Scott Sigler Audiobooks, and subscribe. You'll get a free audiobook episode every Sunday and a big hit of Story Smack every Friday. And right now that book is The Rider, which Mm -hmm. is a Galactic Football League novella, and it's an 80,000-word novella. So it's a novel, but we call them novellas. So enjoy. Okay, so until next week, we will talk to you all real soon. there this is justin bartha i made a funny new podcast king of the egg cream it has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like lewis black i'm torn by my feelings for two women bobby cannavale you can eat it or if someone hits you you can put it on your cut melanie linsky i wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet jason ritter i can break things and pick locks and kill people michael stuhlbarg the whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better ari grainer no don't whet its appetite what are you an idiot me justin martha that's not just any egg cream that's a lemke's special and all narrated by the hilarious richard kind this is the story of harry dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.